Scripture is from Genesis, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham as he sat under the great trees at Mamre. Abraham looked up and saw three strangers standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, please do not let pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought so that you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me bring you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then be on your way now that you have found your servant. Very well, they said, do as you say. So Abraham hurried off to the tent to Sarah and said, quick, bring three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran off to the herd and picked a tender choice calf and gave it to a servant to prepare. Then he set curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared before them while they ate. He stood under a tree nearby. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It should be more obvious to me, but uh, having been gone the uh, past uh, five Sundays, I'm reminded again of what a privilege it is to be one of your pastors and what a great opportunity to be with you in the advancing of God's kingdom in this world. But when you're gone for five Sundays, as I've been gone, two Sundays to preach at our North Campus at Riverside, and then three Sundays on vacation where we went to Alaska, and then I've done a couple weddings, when you're gone this much, you realize how much you're dependent on the hospitality of others. And one of the things I noticed these last uh, five weeks is there's a great difference in the hospitality that was extended to me as a client and a hospitality that was extended to me as a pastor, both at Riverside and in uh, the weddings. Uh, one of the weddings that I did a few weeks back, they asked me, what time would you like to have the rehearsal? I had to think about that one. I'd never been asked. So we did it. Last night I did a wedding in Dallas, and they said, uh, we want to keep your hotel room all the way up till 6 o'clock so that you have a place to rest. And you can shower before you come and do the 7 o'clock wedding. You know, when I was in Alaska or on the way, we uh, uh, had a plane delay of more than three hours in Dallas. And nobody came to me and said, let us fly you to Alaska in our private jet. Nobody did that. When we were waiting to take a train from Seward back to Anchorage and we had run out of things to do, uh, and there was a few hours, the conductor didn't say, are you ready to pull out? We'll go ahead now if you're ready. There was a great deal of difference between just being a client or a customer and being like one of the family, like I was in the wedding. Uh, You've probably heard my favorite definition of um, a family comes from a sociologist, Uri Brunenhofer, and he says this, a family is a group that possesses an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. An irrational commitment. You set the time of the rehearsal. An irrational commitment. There's a difference between being treated like a client and being treated with real care, like a member of the family. I say all this because we've been talking about the desert, and unfortunately we've been living in the desert this summer. 
But one of the things about the desert in the Middle East is it turns people into family. When you are out there in a great and dangerous and hot desert, there's a sense in which you are all out there together. The desert makes strangers into family because in the desert you need each other for shade, for water, for direction, for survival. If we need to be reminded about how dangerous the desert is, consider this. The first night we were in Alaska, this was the lead story on the evening news. A teenager from Anchorage went to Arizona uh, to visit some friends, and they went hiking in the desert for just a few hours. He took one small 16-ounce water bottle. He got dehydrated, and by the time they found him, it was too late. The desert can be a dangerous place. It's a matter of life and death, and so we will need each other in those circumstances. It's an amazing story about Abraham and the three visitors. And the first thing that I noticed this time that I never noticed before is that Abraham is sitting by his tent when God shows up, and he doesn't realize it's God, in the heat of the day. In the heat of the day, God comes walking up. Do you remember what time God came walking up in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Do you remember when it was? It said that God would walk with them in the cool of the evening. I think that's a marvelous um, illustration to me of how things have changed since the Garden of Eden. We no longer live in the cool of the evening of the day. We live in heat. We live in difficulty. We live in challenge. And as my colleague Scott Hare says, the story of the Bible is moving from the Garden of Eden again to the garden that we'll one day all experience in the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. But in between times, it's pretty hot. And we're going to need each other to survive. So here's what I thought we'd do. For just a few minutes, let's look at the example of hospitality that Abraham sets in uh, the heat of the day while he's by his tent. The first thing we'll notice is this, and I already pointed out, Abraham extends hospitality to complete strangers. doesn't know these people. Uh, as far as he knows, he's not met them before. And they come up, and he looks up and sees them. And notice how many times uh, the adverb hurry shows up as he extends himself on these strangers, on behalf of these strangers. It seems to me that one way we could talk about um, uh, hospitality is this. Troy, talk to the children about treating people who aren't your friends like they are your friends. That's a good way to think of it. One way I would think of it based on our story today is that hospitality is treating strangers as if they are family. And he treats them as family. Dorothea Day, the great reformer and social activist, once said this, I only love God as much as I love the strangers in my life. The way we can measure our faith accurately is how much do we love people who aren't our family, who are not familiar to us. Robert Putnam, a Harvard sociologist, wrote a famous book more than a decade ago called Bowling Alone. And in this book, he lamented the decline of what he called social capital in America, that Americans at the time, he said, were becoming more and more isolated, more and more lonely, more and more estranged. And he said, so more people bowl than ever, but they don't bowl in leagues on teams, uh, was his example. And whether that's still true, one of the things he said was very helpful. He said, there's a difference in the world between bonding and bridging. He said bonding is when you make a connection with someone who's a lot like you. And a lot of us are able to do this. We're able to connect with our friends and with our family. 
But he said what's required in our country will be bridging. Bridging is where we make a connection with someone who is not like us. We will have to make and go over a bridge to them. That's hospitality, to treat and receive the stranger as if they were family. Another thing I noticed about this is that Abraham's welcome to them is, is absolutely extravagant. He says to Sarah, bring three sayas of the finest flour. Well, in our house, we don't measure things in sayas, so I really didn't have any idea. And scholars debate this still to some extent, but here's the best estimate. Three sayas of the finest flour would be about 30 pounds. Quick, Sarah, go get 30 pounds of flour and make bread for these three guys. Can you imagine? And then he runs out to his herd and gets a calf for three guys. The hospitality is over the top. It's extravagant. And I think about so often in my life, I'm at a restaurant and someone's waiting at, on my table and I'm sort of doing the math. You know, what's 17%? Yeah, what can I get away with? Or someone's in need on the street corner. Oh, what's the minimum I could do to help them on their way? I don't usually think in terms of extravagance the way that Abraham and, and Sarah did. And I've been uh, in situations where people have been extravagant. In, in Israel, um, when you go to Israel for evangelism, one of the things you do is you go to a Bedouin encampment. And Bedouins don't wander around anymore because the uh, Israeli government trucks in water for them. So they, they have some more permanent uh, settlements, but they still don't have much. They, they have generators, so they run electricity about twice a week. Sometimes the man in the family might have a job at a plant or as a security guard or something, but there's not a great deal of income, and they're still raising sheep. But we came in 1999, I'll never forget it, across an open desert to a Bedouin family who received us, and as soon as they saw us coming, the women got busy and started working. And what we found was they had a little bit of coffee. It was all they had left, and they diluted it enough to make 51 small cups for the 51 visitors. And we watched them take the dough that they had available, and it was all they had. And using uh, cooking over a pan and fire, something called a taboon, they made tortilla-like uh, bread for us. It was all that they had. It was extravagant. They opened everything they had to us. But it's not just Israel. This past um, fall, I was in Turkey with a group. And uh, we came into a small town in Turkey. And we were hiking into that small town. And our leader sent about 30 minutes ahead of time word to the small school that some Americans were going to come visit, about 51 of them. And this is a small one-room schoolhouse. Well, actually, probably had two rooms. And, uh, and, the, and what they do is they have a hot lunch every day with food that they bring and people in the community bring, and they cook a hot lunch for the kids. So what they did is they cooked their lunch and gave it to us. And we found that out, and, and we wanted to eat sparingly. We didn't want to take food out of their mouth, but they kept insisting that we eat. And the schoolmaster, in fact, told us, yes, that there would be no hot meal that day. Because they gave it to us. Extravagant hospitality. That's how they worked in the desert. And that's how Abraham um, worked as well. But there's another thing that happens in the story. Um, I, about two verses after I quit reciting for you, because you know after vacation just two more verses was more than I could do. Uh, it, there's a part where the angel says to Abraham, where's Sarah? And he says, well, she's in the tent. And he says, tell her that this time next year she will have a child. Sarah's 90 years old. 
She's been waiting decades for a child. And suddenly they've opened their tent to these strangers and she will be pregnant. One of the interesting things to note about hospitality is it's not always about us giving. It is also about us receiving the other person, receiving their story, receiving their experiences, opening our heart and our ears to them and the talents and gifts that they bring as well. The Bible is full of stories of people who opened their hearts and actually received more than they ever gave. Abraham and Sarah will receive a child. There's a widow in the story of Elijah who lives in Zarephath, and she's about to run out of food. And Elijah asked her for food, says, do you have any? He said, well, yeah, this is our last meal. We were going to eat it and then die. And he said, will you give me some? Strange request. And she says, yes. And what happens, if you remember the biblical story, is as often as she feeds him, food keeps appearing. And then there's another uh, couple, a Shunammite woman, And Elisha, the prophet, visits them. And he comes by often enough that the wife says to her husband, you know, we just ought to build him his own room. Just make a guest room for him. And they do. And Elisha says to somebody who knows the couple, is there anything they need? And he says, well, you know, they don't have any children. And so Elisha tells her that she will have a son. And she does. In the Bible, people give in hospitality, but they receive just as much as they give. And, of course, the key to the Abraham story is what Abraham really receives is God, or who Abraham really receives in God. There's a sense in which when we exchange, um, when we open, rather, and extend hospitality to a stranger, we receive not just the stranger, but God. The rabbi said this in the Talmud, that hospitality to a stranger is a greater act of worship than receiving the presence of God. Well, I think Jesus came along and changed that. In Matthew 25, he said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. He changed it to extend hospitality to a stranger is to extend hospitality to Jesus. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, You know, you should be careful and extend hospitalities because you may entertain an angel unaware. Remembering the story of Abraham and Sarah. To welcome a stranger is, in fact, to welcome God. They asked the great Mother Teresa, what do you see among the lepers and among the dying in Calcutta? Why do you do this? And her great quote, you'll remember, was this. She said, when I see them, what I see is Jesus in distressing disguise. She understood that to do it for these strangers was to do it for Jesus. It is about a hundred years after Uh, Paul and Peter are gone. And one of the leaders of the early church says this, all of you who have a home should build a small guest room and keep it for Jesus when he comes to visit. And by that he meant that any time a stranger or somebody in need comes to visit, you would open your home to them. And in opening your home and your life to them, you're actually opening it to Jesus. But... Here's the truth of the matter. Most of the sermon I wrote before vacation, and the more I thought about it on vacation, and the more I thought about you, and the more I thought about different places that I went, I realized you don't really need this sermon. You already do it. I have watched you in more than 14 years be hospitable to me and to my family when we came as strangers uh, back in 1995. I've watched you in the fall of 2005 welcome strangers who came from Louisiana out of Hurricane Katrina. I watched classes adopt families. 
I watch them set them up with jobs, with medical care, help get their kids in school, get them groceries, get them driver's license, eyeglasses. I watched all this happen. I watched you do it. And then last August, a year ago, I watched many of you up here around the clock welcoming strangers brought to us through Hurricane Ike. The fact of the matter is that you don't need this sermon. You do this sermon already. But could I just offer this one thing? What's interesting to me is the story starts when Abraham sits at the edge of his tent and watches for people. We do very well welcoming people who come to us. And now I just invite you to wherever your tent is, at work, at play, in your home, in your neighborhood associations and volunteer groups, make that your tent. Be on the lookout and welcome the stranger wherever you may find him.